John Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Today, I am talking to Sarah Elkins, and Sarah is a fellow podcaster. Uh, No, I have a lot of podcasters on my my shows, and she wants to talk to me today. Uh, You know, she's a communication coach, a storytelling coach, and uh, I think she... Number 37, episode 37, you kind of related to. That's what you pointed out in uh, the guest form. So I, I don't have a lot of uh, background on you. So we're just going to use this as a time for you to give us your background. So uh, excellent. <laughs> why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, tell people how you uh, made your way to this podcast and, and wanting to be a guest here? Sure. Um, I, I always had some side job. I've always had full-time job, but I always had a job, just like a lot of are get bored too easy, so they take on something new every every few weeks, every few months. And um, for many years, I thought for sure I was going to end up being a customer service, customer experience expert, and that I would be doing keynotes and workshops and trainings and write a book on customer service. And then about five or six years ago, um, I was hired to do a keynote, but it was on storytelling. And I'll never forget standing in my room because I had a regular job at the time that was, you know, not exclusively self-employed. I was working for a city and I took this call and, and this woman asked me to submit a proposal to speak at this event. And I said, sure. What do you want me to talk about um, customer service? She said, no, storytelling. And I remember having this moment of going, OK, what would Richard Branson do? <laughs> and I said, um, Sure. Sure, of course I can do that. And I got off the phone with her and I'm like, what the heck did I just sign up for? Because I, I had never done anything quite like that. And this was a pretty big crowd. It was about 300 people that were expected to be in that session. Wow. And um, so I did a session on storytelling and I started with a story. And then I talked about the components of storytelling, body language, tone of voice, um, observing your audience, all those important components. And I told another story and I had some of the guests stand up and tell very brief stories so that I could talk about where they could add more detail, where you would want to take away some detail, that kind of thing. But I finished that and I remember stepping off the stage and um, I had a handful of people come up to me to talk to me. And then as I was walking through the room to get to the back so I could you know, get out for a little bit and, and get a breath of fresh air after doing that keynote, which was over an hour, which is a long keynote. As I'm walking through, a handful of people kept coming up to me and saying, hey, is your book for sale here at the conference? And I remember like kicking myself, shit, now I have to write a book. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that was about five years ago. And ever since then, I've been really focused on coaching people um, in, in improving their communication using storytelling as the foundation of my work. And um, I started my podcast about two and a half years ago. So every Tuesday, I've released a new episode for two and a half years. So I have over 120 episodes. Wow. And um, in that time, I learned that most people don't know how to tell a good story. So hence the reason I wanted to get on your podcast was to share the news that um, I finally have my book <laughs> after five years. <laughs> well, better late than never, right? <laughs> yeah, I believe that for sure. Now, books a hard thing to do. Uh, you know, I have I have three of them in my in my story uh, waiting to be to be written and published. Uh, you know, I, but I, I but I'm great at making excuses. I'm better at making excuses than I am at actually writing. So, <laughs> oh, tell me about it. I I think that's why uh, I had writing it for a while because I had all these keynotes scheduled and I knew I wanted to have my book available, uh, but I still couldn't make myself. I couldn't hold myself accountable for months at a time. It would just be sitting there. And finally, um, I got in touch with a company called Publishizer. And basically, that's all right. Basically, <laughs> sorry, the dog's barking. He only barks at the UPS truck. That's the only thing that he barks at. So I don't, I don't know. FedEx can come by. He doesn't care. But <laughs> anyway, um, so. I, Publishizer is like Kickstarter for book writers and basically gives you seed funding because it's really, really unusual to get a traditional publishing deal. You're going to have to pay some cash up front if you want to get your book published and you don't have a huge following. You have to have like probably half a million people on Twitter before anyone is going to even look at you in terms of traditional publishing. Wow. So you're going to have to pay out of pocket if you want to get your book, your first book especially, published. And um, I knew that I didn't really want to self-publish because I, I wanted it to be done really well. And I didn't trust myself to do it like, completely and well. Um, and so I did this publishizer campaign and I pre-sold over 200 books before it was completed, before wow. I even finished writing it. And as soon as I sold the first two, somebody bought two as the pre-order campaign began back in October, November, 2019. And I thought, okay, that's it. I have to write my book because I just sold two copies of it. <laughs> so <laughs> it held me accountable. I know it's crazy, but that's how I roll. <laughs> and, um, so I, I, it held me accountable. And what was interesting, Sean, and, and this may help you too, is that as I was writing this book over the course of a year before that, and I was at about 60% complete when I started the Publishizer campaign, and I thought, God, it took me a year to get 60%. How, how long is it going to take me to finish it? And um, I was, I'm a StrengthsFinder coach as well. I'm certified through Gallup to, to do StrengthsFinder coaching. And my top strengths, my top two, are the ones that show up the most, which is strategic and activator. The, the strength called focus <laughs> It's like number 29 out of 34 on me. I'm total ADD girl. So uh, the whole idea of following all those suggestions and guidelines for being an author, which is, you know, set aside big chunks of time and really get into flow and have a routine and adaptability also happens to be in my top strengths. And so routine is also not something that comes very naturally for me. And it was interesting because I had been kind of fighting with myself for that whole year of writing the book. 
But then finally, I looked at my strengths again. Now, here I am a coach. It's just kind of like when I mess up a conversation with one of my kids or my husband, I'm like, okay, I'm a communication coach and I totally messed this up. I can probably do better. I'm looking at my strengths going, oh, I could probably do this better. And instead of trying to follow somebody else's guidelines for writing a book, I started setting aside 15 minute chunks of time twice a day. And they weren't the same time twice a day. I just took control of my calendar, which I'm really good at actually. Um, And I just put aside these chunks of time every day. And no matter where I was, I had my laptop with me and I would just start typing. And if I happened to get into flow, great. But if I didn't, I put in those 15 minutes. And it was literally four weeks later, I finished the book. Wow. Yeah. So I just had to do it using my own strengths and, you know, using my own suggestions, which sometimes, I'm, you know, <laughs> giving advice is much easier than taking it for yourself. Absolutely. It is, you know, I'm, I'm great at giving everybody advice and, you know, you know mindset, mindset, adversity, goals achieved. And it's like, you know, it, it's like the, it's like the guy that, uh, that's in the AA meeting that always talks, you know, or, or whatever meeting that always has all the answers, you know, has, says everything so pretty and eloquent and like, God, I wish I could be like him. But when you leave the meeting, it's like none of that shit. It's like all out the window. <laughs> Right. Exactly. When it comes to actually talking to one person. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, and you're right too about, uh, telling a story because my story, I have a hard time telling it because it changes all the time. And and like in our, our, my, my mind is not compartmentalized like some people's are right. You can see, you listen to a Ted talk and there's that person that's telling that, you know, their story and it's like, wow, man, it's, you know, you, you captivate everybody. Me, my story is like my head, you know, there's, it's just sort of all over the place. Like, like I, I was saying this earlier today, I was on a, a, a mastermind call and, uh, it, it was, uh, I'm, I'm, my, my mind is built like a, like a, uh, a hard drive, right? You know how you have a fragmented hard drive and you need to defrag it long. Remember a long time ago, you defrag your hard drive to oh, yeah. try to speed when it you up used to have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what my mind is like. And that's what my stories are like. It's like fragments of, 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 of stories and of my story. And it's like, I, I could actually probably use your services <laughs> in telling <No>. my own. <laughs> I would suggest you start with the book. That's coming out May 31st. Damn. It's really interesting. (laughs) You know, I wrote the book with the intent of helping people with that exact problem. Uh, Well, not just that problem. A lot of people, what they struggle with is either they think that the stories, those pivotal points in their lives that helped them kind of decide what they're really good at or what they didn't want in their lives, those, those pivotal situations, they think they're not interesting. And so they don't share them or they don't write them down. Or even worse, they can't pinpoint specific instances that could then demonstrate how they shifted. So um, basically, the book is an idea of how to create your own story portfolio. And the benefits to that are, of course, there are tons of benefits. But one benefit is that when you um, are speaking to somebody that you want to inspire and connect with, you can kind of pick out of that book, out of your portfolio, which there are worksheets in the back of the book, to decide which story is the most appropriate for that particular situation. So that could be in an interview. It could be in um, a a date, (laughs) like a first date or uh, later on in life. 
Um, but the other benefit is that when you can look back at those stories and when they're kind of in almost a linear setup where you start with a certain era in your life, say seventh grade, and you start pinpointing very specific situations that happened that year, then you can look back at this kind of timeline of your stories and find patterns. And that's where the whole communication coach comes in. Mm -hmm. You start to see patterns in your relationships and patterns in your behavior. And you start to realize, okay, maybe I'm getting in my own way in, in this area of my life. So it's, it's a, I love the idea of the book. Um, I'm excited for the book, but it's really more about those moments in time that shifted their perspective of themselves and the world around them. Yeah, that, I mean, you said it really well. Uh, and, and also too, and, and when you're telling your story, it's, uh, especially when you're on a podcast or as a guest on a podcast, it, it's, I think that it is really important and I haven't done this yet, but I think it's very important to simplify it because when we try to tell our story and we don't have any direction with it, we just know that we have a story it's not simplified. It's really messy. And, and it, and it jumps from here to there, to there, to there, to there. And you have a hard time staying on the right path of, of your story. Right. And, uh, and, and, and simplifying it and getting to the point because a lot of the, the verbiage and the extra crap that you don't need that loses people's attention is the not simplification of it. It's like you're, you're overtelling it. Exactly. Exactly. And, one of the things people have a tendency to do is when somebody says, tell me about yourself or, you know, tell me a story, it, it ends up being this whole linear lifeline. Like I was born in Washington, DC, and then we moved to Denver when I was five. And then we did this and then we did that. My parents did this. And it doesn't really give you an indication of who that person is. But if you can pinpoint a specific story, like um, I would share a story of when our first son was born. So we lived in Washington, DC, and I didn't have any intention of having children. This was an impulsive decision, which obviously after this whole discussion about how to write my book and how that happened, um, it's not surprising at all. But one of those patterns. Yes. One of those patterns. I can be kind of impulsive. I'm a middle child and an Aries. So I, and I, not that I am like all that into astrology, but um, there are some similarities among people that were born in mid-April. So anyway, um, so I, I had this baby and I had this plan to go right back to work and we got a great nanny. We lived on Capitol Hill in DC on the third floor of a brownstone building. And um, I would leave the baby with the nanny and go almost an hour north on the BW Parkway to Baltimore and work all day and pump a couple times because I was breastfeeding. And then I'd come back and I'd be completely exhausted. And it was really fascinating to me. I'm always fascinated when I look back at these situations in my life that all of a sudden, everything about how I viewed my future, my career shifted, like almost overnight. I remember coming home one time and I'm carrying, this is back in, oh, 1999. And I come back home and I had to park two blocks away because there's no parking on Capitol Hill in DC. And I have this huge heavy laptop case because back then they were like 40 pounds, right? You couldn't <laughs> get a two pound laptop in 1999. So I have this huge heavy laptop case and uh, my snack bag because I was nursing. And so I was eating 
so many calories. I could not keep up with this kid. And I weighed next to nothing anyway. I weighed like 103 when I got pregnant with Jacob. So yeah, so I was eating all the time trying to keep up with him. And I'm trudging up this spiral staircase up in my apartment and I get in and the nanny throws the baby into my arms and I, I go and I sit down on this couch and I look down at the baby and I'm nursing and I called my mom. I had one of those old, old style cordless phones <laughs> and um, called my mom and I'm looking down at the baby and she answers, hey, because she had caller ID, which you had back then, mm-hmm. believe it or not. So I, I, my, my mom says, hey, Sarah, and, and I burst into tears like sobbing. I'm not a crier. So it totally freaked her out. And, um, I, and I'm just sobbing. And she said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's a baby nurse. So her first thing is what happened to the baby? <laughs> nothing, nothing. The baby's, a, you know, the whole can't even breathe kind of crying. The baby's fine. She's like, what's wrong? Is it postpartum depression? And she, cause she goes, <laughs> my friend shut down a mindfulness expert she says she goes from zero to catastrophe in 0. 0.0 seconds right and she's like what's wrong and and i finally got myself calm enough to speak she said sarah please tell me what's wrong you're freaking me out and i i looked down at this baby and his eyes are closed and his lashes are like hitting his cheek the top of his cheekbone because they're so long and i'm looking at this perfect little baby and i just said it's just that now i know how much you love me Mm. and she now we're both crying of course (laughs) my my poor husband comes in from work right at that moment and we are both sobbing on the phone and um we finally got ourselves together i told her everything was fine it was just that my priorities had shifted so dramatically and it caught me off guard it totally surprised me so I got off the phone with my mom and it wasn't even a week later, my husband was offered a job in Montana and I had never been to Montana, but I knew that we could live on one salary for a little while. And I said, take it, let's go. And four weeks later, we were in a 24 foot rider truck, 20 foot car trailer, baby in a car seat in the middle, driving across the country to Montana. Yeah, Montana, that's a good place. Oh, I love it here. We've been here 21 years now, but um, it was not an easy move. You know, I gave up. I gave up my career completely. I was a PeopleSoft consultant, and um, really great stuff going on in my career. But and so I can't say I never look back because I still every once in a while think, well, where would I be now if I had stayed there? Um, but I also see our two boys. We had another one a couple of years later here in Montana. Um, and as much as I get frustrated with the, the lack of ethnic foods and (laughs) it's very difficult to travel from here, it was difficult before the pandemic and I can't even imagine what it's going to be like now, but, and so it's really hard to get flights and there are a lot of things that are difficult here, but our kids are comfortable anywhere in the world. They've been raised in this environment where they're not entitled um, they both have always had jobs from the time they were 15, 16 years old. Their friends are all outdoorsy and interesting people. And they are just as comfortable camping on a mountainside or by a creek as they are in a fancy restaurant in Paris. So yeah, there, there are definite disadvantages to being here. But I would say that on the whole, I, I certainly don't regret that move. But it was that pivot point of sitting on the couch with this baby in my lap that 
shifted everything that I thought I was going to be, shifted everything about my life. Yeah, I can relate a whole lot to that, uh, especially the, the, you know, the, the first time when you realize, uh, and I talk about this all the time, uh, when you hear about the love for your children, um, from people before you have kids and you're just like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. It's just, just, it's cliche. Shut up. You know, just just show me the picture. Yeah. Show show me the picture. (laughs) Show me the picture of your kids so we can get this over with and I can move on. And, uh, you know, and act like I'm just trying to be polite and it, but it wasn't until I had my own, that I, that, and, and then the connection was made, like when you realize, and, and I think it was when I realized that like, oh my, that's, that's a strong love, man. And it's one that you can't explain to people. You, it's not, it's a non-explanatory kind of love, right? right. It's just mm-hmm. that emotion that is right down, just right here. That's right here in your throat. And at any given moment, when you think about your kids, you could, tears can, can well up. Oh, yeah. It's just that close to the surface that you know what I mean that you're you're that close to bawling because you love your children so much. I love that description that you feel it in your throat. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like that ache that starts down in your chest and then comes up to your throat mm-hmm. when you think about how much you love them. Yeah. yeah. So, what was your moment? Was it holding the baby, or was it later on, kind of watching? Well, there's been a lot of moments because the the because mine is three, and so no. I'm right. I'm in that good spot. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah the terrible twos and the and the uh, and you know and, and it, she didn't really have a lot of terrible twos, but the, the right where she is right now, she's just starting to get out of that throwing herself on the ground phase. Thank goodness. <laughs> that was an unpleasant face. Yeah. But I mean, it was, I think for me, it, it, it definitely was when, uh, when I felt like she saw me, you know what I mean? Like when I was looking at her, she was looking at me and I felt like she saw me. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, it totally does. She must have been what about like three or four weeks old? Yeah, no, a little bit, a little bit older than that. And it, but it was like, you know, you know what? No, it, it, it was, it, well, it was a combination of things. But I remember there was a picture that I took, and she was facing, you know, the rear facing. So she was facing in her car seat, the other, the back. other way back, right? Uh-huh. And I remember uh-huh. taking a picture of her because I felt like she was staring at me, right? And I and I turned around and I looked at her and she was just staring at me like ah. And it, and it was and it it was ah. There 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 it is. There it is. It's, it's right there. <laughs> uh-huh. Um yeah, I don't know. It was it was definitely it, it was something that I'd never felt before with anybody or anything in my life. You know, and and it, it was like such a strong feeling that it, it made me question, like, like, did I ever really love anything? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? It's like it's so different. Right. It's so different. Yeah. And, and it was then there, there's been a lot more, too. I mean, I just find myself sometimes just staring at her like mm-hmm. and watching how she processes things and and like to figure stuff out and it, and it's like I find myself watching her more than anything like b- 
because it's fascinating how like you can learn a lot from watching a child as to how we are. Oh yeah. And how we, Definitely. we learn things. And it's like, then things really start making sense and like, Oh, well, that's why I do what I do because I was watching this, you know? And so now, and then it, and it really forces you to be like, okay, well now I know that I have this little person that's paying attention to everything I do. I, I better behave. <laughs> you, you become so much more conscious of your, your job yeah, uh, on the yeah. planet. Uh, okay. Now this is my job on, on this planet for right now. This is my job. And it, it doesn't stay your job. I can tell you there's a point usually about kindergarten, first grade where their peers start to have more um, influence than you do, <laughs> but it stays your job basically until they get into their teen years where you have to say, you know, I've given them the foundation. I've done everything I can. Obviously you have to continue to model the behavior you want to see in them for your whole life. Yeah. But it shifts. It definitely shifts. Yeah. I know. I know how I felt about what I was doing shifted because, uh, you know, I, the job that I, I had or have, uh, is in construction, which, you know, it, it, it causes, I mean, it, there's a lot, it, I have a lot of time invested in it when I'm going to work, you know, from commuting, you know, three hours a day, sometimes four, depending. Uh, and you know, that's, that's not even including work, you know? So, I mean, I could be a 12 hour, 12 hour stint and, you know, and I co-parent. So it's, you know, I, I, I'm, I've limited time with, with my child as it is. And so like my focus now is, is more, you know, as we're in the, in this, period that we're in, right. Where we're, I mean, I'm being paid to, you know, basically, you know, figure out what I want to do next right? and shift my, my, you know, what I'm doing into something else that's going to create more time. Like, I don't care about the money. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't, right. I don't need to be rich, you know, for what, you know, what, what is that? What is that going to give me? It's going to give right. me more option. Yes. But it's going to give me more of a headache as well too. Uh, so for me, creating more time to spend with my daughter, raising her is what my goal and focus is now, you know, mm -hmm. versus before you know, I was trying to get it, you know, I wanted to be a business agent in my union and that's very political. And that's, you know, a lot of time would be invested in that and time that I wouldn't be around my, my kid. And I thought I could do that. Right. I thought, okay, well I'm up for that. I could do both. Yeah, well, I, I was willing to, I, at one point I was willing to sacrifice that because I wanted this over here so bad. Right. But as mm -hmm. we got into this space where we're at, I've really started rethinking things and I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe that's not what I want. You know, do you remember, um, I, for some reason, something just popped into my head, a vision of you driving home from work with the excitement that you were going to see your little girl and that thought that passes your head, something's got to give because I, I wanted. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've done that before. It's like, I mean, I've said that, you know, the best part of my day is, is that you there still. I want to stop the video. Yeah. Can you hear me? Is yeah, that I, better? Yeah. I, I, can, I can hear you. That's all right. This is, I'm, I'm having some, uh, some technical, Ooh. Difficulties here with uh, my current. Ah, see, or is it better now? Can you hear? 
Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Apple has, has maybe they haven't, maybe they haven't, uh, or maybe they have, but it's coming up on my, you know, you I, on the payment plan when you buy a new phone now, right? It's not like it used to be, you know, you actually either have to buy the phone up front right. or you do, they don't charge you any interest, it's but they allow you to a, stretch it yeah. out. But right, it's, I'm right at the last payment this month and my phone is starting to act up. So, and it's the second time, second phone that that's happened around the same time. So I'm like, he's fuckers. (laughs) (laughs) That's just not right. (laughs) Yeah. So I know exactly what's going on. Uh, Anyways, unfortunately. So yeah, I, I, I did. I, 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 you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's weird how you're, how you're, how you're, uh, you're just things can change so quickly mm-hmm. and, and, you and know, what's, what's interesting is that so many of these times when you're having this conversation, when I tell a story, it'll trigger your memory of a specific incident. And so when I was talking about being in the car, like I was remembering one time um, driving with the two boys in the back seat in their car seats, they're two and a half years apart. So they were only in car seats together for a short amount of time. But I remember vividly driving them somewhere. We were going to a pool to go swimming. And they were talking together to each other. And it was mostly the older one talking to the younger one because the younger one was so little. But I remember this moment, again, where I felt it in my, in, in my upper chest. And then it comes up as that lump in my throat. I'm hearing them talk to each other. And I remember this moment of being so grateful that they had each other. Mm because um, I was imagining all the years that I spent with my siblings, but particularly my younger sister and I are very close. I'm close with all three of my siblings, or with all three of us are very close, but um, I kind of raised my younger sister. And so I have vivid memories of, of taking care of her when she was little. And I had this memory pop up in my head as I was driving with the two boys in the back seat and hearing them yammer with each other. And it was the, the sweetest thing ever. So I was imagining you driving home by yourself and having that feeling that of the lump in your throat of I've got to change something, like a very specific moment in time where that realization hit you. Yeah. And, and there's been a lot since then, too, as well. Uh, and I, I don't. So I have a I, you have a lab, right? Yeah, he's a big chocolate lab. Okay, so <laughs> I have nine pounds. <laughs> I have one too, and he's about a hundred pounds as well. And uh, mine's a charcoal though. It's a, a a charcoal is the chocolate that that either didn't go far enough or went too far. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're they're called yeah, dilutes. They're so pretty. Yeah, and uh, so that's what I have, and and I sometimes I'll catch her having a little conversation, you know, with him or, you know, come on, Riley Joe, you know, and, and it's, and it's my dog, but it's like, I'm already, I'm already seeing that, you know, cause we share time. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll let my dog stay over there with her. And when I go back to work, it's gonna, they'll, he'll be back over there permanently for a while. Um, but it's like, I already know it's, it's not my dog anymore. That's her dog now. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And that also is just like watching Sibs together is watching your kid with the love 
yeah. your previous love, which is your dog, your mm-hmm. fur baby, and seeing them together and just makes your heart ache. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, he's oh man, this guy, he is he's by the best dog I've ever had. Uh, you know how you know how animals will imprint on you. Sure. Yeah. And, and then they start taking on your personality as well. And like, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, he's, he's really cool, man. Uh, trained really well, uh, and super gentle with her. Like she was not even three, like two and a half. And she wanted to hold the, uh, leash when we were walking. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that could, that could turn into a bad situation, you know? And, uh, <laughs> But he he handled it great, man. He was so gentle with her and didn't didn't like yank on her oh, and right. yeah. He knew. Yeah. So it's uh, that. it's it's cool watching two, the two of them interact. I love that. So what what are some uh, what, aside from that? What are some other things uh, that you got uh, that you're doing? I know job toxic environment. Uh, yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, I the, I had listened to a couple of your episodes before I reached out to you, and one of the the stories that popped into my head was when I was working in a really toxic environment where my boss was really mean to me, and this is again part of that whole idea of collecting your stories so you can see patterns, because that's what I've been doing for the last five or six years, and um, it has really shifted the way that I see my relationship with others. And I was in this job where my boss was really mean to me, like really some of the things she said, um, she manipulated the situation. I was actually hired for a project before she was, and she was the project manager. And then she was hired and um, she wasn't my boss because I was a compliance officer for this grant. And so keeping that separation was kind of important, right? But somehow she managed to manipulate it so that she became my boss. And I was told that she was going to be my boss starting this date or whatever. And of course, I was already worried about our relationship. And then when she became my boss, I knew it was going to get worse. And she was a super intense micromanager, but she was also mean. And, um, And I don't know what happened to her to to contribute to that behavior. I think it had issues. She had issues with control at home. And so she was going to damn well be sure she was controlling other things outside of her home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she is brilliant. This woman has, is a visionary. She just wasn't a good manager for me. And at one point we were walking and, and we were trying to decide, you know, or trying to talk out some of the friction that was going on between us. And she said, well, now that I'm your boss, and she must have said that three times in about a 15-minute conversation. I thought, oh, this is, this is not going to get better. This was about six months into a two-and-a-half-year grant-funded position. And I started looking within four months of starting this job. And at six months, I definitely started you know, trying to, to find another job to get the heck out. And at the time, my husband was self-employed. So I was bringing in health insurance. So I didn't have the luxury of just walking away. Mm. And I remember this vivid moment where we're, um, we're walking back from taking this walk to talk about her being my boss. And she said, I don't know why they hired you. You had none of the qualifications. <laughs> it was, she was 
so mean. <laughs> I actually said, um, well, you know, part of our friction might be that we spend too much time together. We share a cubicle, for goodness sake. And we take these road trips for these compliance visits. And she said, well, I was trying to build a peer relationship with you, but I don't have to anymore because now I'm your boss. <laughs> I was like, what? We're not peers anymore. And, and trying because I'm so difficult to get along with. It was just bizarre. Anyway, so the the pivotal point that I had a lot of learning opportunities in that position. I ended up staying for the two and a half years, which was not my choice, but I learned a lot. And I remember about, um, it was probably just about a month before I was offered a new position. I was standing in the bathroom at my office and I, I'm trying to wash the tears off my face and cold water on my face because I knew that my, it was red and flushed because I had been crying again. And like I said, I don't cry much. So when I do, it's, it's pretty intense. And I, I'm looking in the mirror and I see these tear stained cheeks and my eyes are puffy and red and I'm trying to put cold water on without wrecking what little makeup I wear anyway. And, and I'm looking in the mirror and I have this awful, awful moment where I realized I saw the pattern And while there's no excuse for bullying and that behavior wasn't okay, I realized that this wasn't the first time I had this experience. Mm. And I'm looking in the mirror, realizing that I had some complicity in it. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. It was almost worse than being treated badly was the recognition that I had contributed to my own obstacle there, my own challenges. And again, it wasn't because I deserved to be bullied in any way, but it was because I was antagonizing periodically in times when I didn't have to. I wasn't presenting information to her in a way that gave me dignity and gave her compassion at the same time. Um, I was wallowing. I was coming into that same mud that she was in. I started behaving differently because I was being influenced by her bad behavior. And I started taking on some of that bad behavior. And it was, it was such a painful moment. And I remember looking in the mirror going, oh, now what? Like, how do I apply this? How do I, I mean, I can't just get out of it. And I, I have this lesson to learn. So, so how do I apply what I just figured out? And it took me a few months, really, of kind of coming to certain conclusions about my behavior like, for instance, I was about to send off an email message and my, my mouse is hovering over the send button and I knew it was going to antagonize her and I did it anyway. <laughs> and boy, all hell broke loose. Like seconds later, she's at my desk screaming at me. And I was like, oh, I totally deserve that. Like I knew that was going to happen. I did it anyway. And um, so it was, it, it, it's so fascinating to me when you have those moments and you don't choose to learn from them. And um, so that's, again, it's part of that story. It's part of my book. Um, I tell my own stories in the book to trigger memories of of the reader and um, so that they can create their own portfolio with their own stories. Yeah, that's cool. I've had, I, you know, I, I've had experience like that, uh, with somebody and, and they weren't, and they, and they weren't a mean person, but they were, they were, uh, Ah, passive aggressive. So I was the aggressive kind of person, right? You know, you, you know exactly what you're going to get with me. 
right? I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. Uh, you may not like it. You may not like my delivery of it, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And this is how I feel. You know where you stand with me at all times. All right. This person was a lot different. Uh, he, he, uh, and it was the person that ran against me as a business agent. And, you know, I was, so I was more like Hillary Clinton, not, not, not Hillary, but you know, in the way that she, but you know, I, I had the support of everybody, all of the people above me, uh, you know, everybody was like, thought that I was going to be the one to win. You know, people were saying, Oh, he's the chosen one. Uh, you know, the, all, all of this, all they this trusted you because they knew you were going to be transparent. Well, not that it's just, I just been connecting all the dots and doing everything that I was supposed to be doing up to this point being groomed for for this right and this person was very a very good speaker and he and he used every page out of uh out of donald trump's uh campaign right using proxies to using proxies to gaslighting yeah you know letting everybody else say all the bad shit that that would make him look bad for saying and so he had a, a brother that was in the in the trade. So his brother was his proxy that would go and try and, and tell people and put uh, doubt. Oh, this guy's a you know. He, do you really want a felon? Uh, you know, running running this stuff. And do you want somebody who's been to prison? Uh, heading everything up. Even though I was the one who like really was knew everything about what was the position itself, right? Because right, right. people above me saw something in me. And, you know, this is a problem with the elect with an election, right? Mm -hmm. It's it doesn't depend on your merit. It doesn't depend on what you know and how well you can do the job. It depends on how well you can get people to 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 like you and how good you can kiss ass, really. Um, And and how bad you can make the other person look. Yeah. And so this person was just like that. And so even after he had won, right, uh, we went we were at another meeting and and he felt the need to go. So you know why I ran against you, right? And I'm like, no. Oh, no. I'm like, no, tell me, please. I'm so fascinated to to want to know your perspective. Please tell me. <laughs> Enlighten me, mister. Uh, and, he, and he's like, you know, I just didn't feel like you had anything to offer any of these people. You know, any of our members uh, more so, you know. what? what so basically what he was trying. Yeah, well, what he was trying to do was was put doubt in my own mind that I wasn't capable of doing the job. Right. And that was the only way that he could kind of think that he could get to me. But I mean, little did he know that like, I'm dude, I have, I have such a, I have such an ego that there's no way you're, you're going to penetrate that. You know what I mean? Plus I already know the Uh reason why you're even saying anything to me is because you know, I'm a threat to you. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's usually what it, what it comes down to. Like when we see people that, that have qualities that we don't like in ourselves, we tend to not like those people or have a problem with them or have a problem with something that they do. And the something that they do is something that usually we don't like that we do in ourselves. Exactly. I I think that (laughs) happens, especially with our family members. Like when I see something, when my father was living and he would tell a story and go on and on with so much detail and I'd get so annoyed and then I would go and do it. (laughs) I'd be like, oh, that's why I get so annoyed because I do it. um, Thank goodness my brother one time gave me, he, he was always he's a big brother. So he says it like it is to me. And, uh, I was trying to tell a story to one of our nieces and he said, Sarah, land the plane. 
I was like, oh, that's actually really helpful. So from that point forward, every time I find myself going there, I'm like, I hear my brother's voice in my head saying, land the plane. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and it was, it it was a, it was a gut check for me though, honestly, because I had to take a look and this is one of those things where these funny memes come in where I saw myself as something and everybody else saw me as something else. Right. Yeah, that perception gap. Yeah. And so like I I had myself built up because all these other people above me built me up to this thing. And I kind of didn't work as hard as I should have. Right. Because I already thought in my head that, okay, well, I got this. Everybody, you know what I mean? So, I I mean, I, I did, but I didn't do it as well as he did. Right. Well, you weren't um, demonstrating as broadly or as deeply what you could do for their, for your team. Yeah. And, and so that, and he was saying what you couldn't do. So there's, and, and yeah, he, and he, and he, and he was, te- and he was telling people, you know, things that, that he would never be able to do. Right. So like, right. like dues, I'm going to lower the dues and I'm going to do all of this stuff, our retirement and everything else is going to, you know, I'm going to put it on my back and I'm going to change things and make it right for you. And oh, right. And, Cause and, it's that easy. <laughs> yeah. And so he played into people's complaints, right? Which was exactly uh-huh. what Donald Trump did. The why right. he got elected, uh, why well, I'm, I'm going to bring back coal, you know, and that's, that's where his base is, is based, you know, way in, in the middle of, of America, you know, where, where coal is, you know, we're trying to go green, but you're going to bring back coal, but people wanted to believe that. Right. 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 So it's, I'm curious, um, have you had any, experiences with him or has anybody said anything or has he been successful at all or are people kind of sick of him no he well yeah well it's really hard like like i had people that were were pointing out things that he wasn't doing and and for me like what we would normally do is so you you you're here yes but you've made a boatload of promises to people that you're not going to be able to to fulfill right and you've got a three-year term uh but if it's me that's up there like constantly at the union meeting going hey did you do this and did you do that did you it just makes me look like a disgruntled you know what i mean like i'm butthurt about it and i'm trying to uh, basically what all the democrats are doing to donald trump right you know, right. making right. you know, you're not making yourselves look any better by always constantly pointing out everything bad that he does. Right. And right. so I, I feel like that would work against me. Um, but you know, he, no, I don't know. I, I hope he is. Uh, it's, it's. <laughs> I mean, we we haven't had a meeting since uh, in a while because of the situation that we're in, right? Right. And of so course. even May is, and so maybe we might have one in June, but. I, you know, I, I've, I've lost interest in it because that's not, that's not the, that's not right. the kind of person that I am. You know, I'm not well, going to, he's just going to ride it out now at this point. He's just going to ride it out because yeah. he can, Yeah, he doesn't have to do anything. No, I mean, he convinced everybody that, you know, he was going to do this. And, you know, if you look at our own election systems and, you know, nationally, how often, you know, how often does anybody hold anybody accountable after they, you know, we're so busy doing other stuff. It's like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. Sad. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sucked. But I mean, you know, it, 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 it's something that needed to happen because it allowed me to see like, well, maybe this isn't what I want to do. You know, I don't like having to lie yeah. to people. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't like having to lie to people and tell people what they want to hear for them to do something for me. That's just not how I'm. That's not how I'm built. Right. You know. And if you had gotten that position, then you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now as far as building a, a second business and doing your side hustle, as, as they call it. And um, you wouldn't be spending the time with your daughter that you get to spend with her. And yeah. I, I really I really believe that things happen for a reason. And uh, whether that's lessons that you needed to learn or something else was on your path that you hadn't considered yet because you had this single focus of what you wanted – and now you can see that that single focus wasn't really going to benefit you and your life the way that you had intended. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. You're right. So here we are. Here we are. Building <laughs> <laughs> businesses and trying to help people and, um, and inspire people to take control, take the reins of their own lives so that, because we know we have choices to make and, um, I think looking at your stories like that and pinpointing specific incidents really help us redefine what those stories are. They give us some context for what was going on around us and help us apply things that we learned to, to improve things later. Absolutely. And I think that's a good point to end on. Yeah, perfect. We're, we're at 48 minutes, so I uh, got, got some good content out of this. I didn't have to pull teeth too 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 hard. <laughs> You're a great <laughs> guest. You, 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 you gave me plenty to work with, so thank you. I appreciate awesome. that. Well, thanks for doing this at the last minute. My, my book comes out May 31st. It's on pre-order now on Amazon and, and Barnes and & Noble, so I'm, I'm trying to get, you know, the, get the promotion going so that it moves. Yeah. And the whole intent isn't to sell a bunch of books for money because I'm not going to make any money on it, but it's hopefully a business. That's, that's the whole idea is that I'll, I had, a, like I said, I had a whole bunch of keynotes scheduled. So like 60% of my income disappeared in two weeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they'll reschedule and people are shifting to a lot of virtual stuff. And um, so I think having a book out there will, will help with that. And um, I'm also considering putting together a course to associate with the book so people can start reading the book and we can kind of talk through the, the steps of creating your story portfolio and that kind of thing. So we'll see. Yeah, that's awesome. And I also what I'm doing with my Facebook group is, uh, you know, any of my, my past guests uh, that I felt that, bring value to you know what i'm doing as well uh i will have a zoom uh like an hour half hour to an hour zoom thing where i would bring you in as a as a guest and then have anybody who wants to sign up to listen to you know what it is that you do uh a little bit more in detail than just a, a podcast right and then, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. you know, if you get anything from there, you know, then something there would be it would, almost like an affiliate program, sort of sure. Any, anybody that anybody that signs up with you through my portal, then a percentage would go go to me for the introduction sure. and also, you know, paying for the, the zoom because you have to have the paid thing to, to actually get more than three people on there at a time. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I've had a subscription for years because this is how I record on my podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm in. I would appreciate it. Any anything that we can do to promote, I'm in. And um, if it's like it, 
I don't know, calling it an author talk or yeah. something like that or whatever. That'd be great. And then it's actually available for 99 cents as an ebook until May 31st. Oh, nice. Um, and I'm asking people that ha- that pre-ordered from that publishizer campaign to um, order the 99 cent ebook just so that they can write a verified review on Amazon. Um, and then I'm suggesting that people actually buy the paperback because like I said, there are worksheets in it. And all throughout the book, I encourage people to write notes in the margins. And um, so I, I really encourage people to have the, the paper book in front of them so that they can write things down. That's harder to do when you're on an ebook. Yeah, yeah, I I wouldn't know. I haven't haven't gotten that far. Um, it's, it's only been a thought, not not research, and and a lot of talk. But I mean, that's how, that's how my that's my pattern. So my pattern uh-huh. is when I you know when I'm thinking about doing something, it's like I just keep talking about it and keep talking about it. And at some point, I'll get tired of hearing myself talk about it, and I'll just do it. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, you probably have activator and ideation in your top strengths. If you ever were to take the strengths finder assessment, you mm-hmm. probably have those two up in your top strengths. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, why don't you go ahead and uh, plug anything you want? Uh, it'll be available in the show notes as well. Uh, anything that you say or any of your links and anything else. And what I'll have you do is just shoot me an email with a picture of yourself for the promotion, promotional material. And then also any you know, bio, anything that you want to appear in the show notes, just throw that in the email. That way I can copy paste it and I don't screw up any of your places because I've been known to make mistakes like that. Some from time to time, (laughs) nobody does that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And thanks for getting this to happen so quickly. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Uh, This, this is the easy part. So, I mean, yeah, this may be quick, but the, the, the back end of it may not be so quick. So just, just a warning. The book will be out there for a while. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, whenever it gets done, I appreciate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. So go, if you want to plug anything, go ahead and do that now. Oh, okay. You can, you can Uh, voice it. It'll, It'll still do the other things, but it never hurts to voice it as well. Sure. So my book is called your stories don't define you how you tell them will. And it is currently available for pre-order until May 31st for 99 cents on the ebook. Um, but after May 31st, I'm highly recommending that people go to bookshop.org to order your paperback because um, that actually supports your local non-affiliated independent books, booksellers. And um, I really love to support our local bookstores and local merchants. So um, it's called Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Well. I'm Sarah Elkins, and the book is designed to help you create your own story portfolio. Um, it's my stories told with the intent to trigger your memories of specific um, similar situations. Um, I also have a podcast, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Well, and it is on all of the standard platforms. It's on Apple Podcasts, uh, Libsyn, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, YouTube, all, all of those places that you can find your favorite podcasts. So thanks again, Sean. I really appreciate being included in your podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, hang out with me today. Uh, always, always a joy. Uh, get my social, social, uh, my social distancing, social, uh, socializing through social distancing in the new tech world. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All these new things that we're going to have to start saying. <sighs> Not looking forward to that.
All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, have a lovely day. Thanks, Sean. You too. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.